Hey, you guys know the drill. You can grab your Bibles. You can turn to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, chapter two. If you're new with us, uh, you can grab your Bibles as well. Turn to Nehemiah chapter two. And if you have a device, you can go to the ESV version. You can stay current with us. Last week, uh, we've been in Nehemiah now. We've been in both books, Ezra and Nehemiah. We transitioned Nehemiah a few weeks ago. And last week, we learned about this godly boldness that Nehemiah was called to in his life as he was looking to make the journey back to Jerusalem from Persia so that he could lead the people in the rebuilding of the Jerusalem walls and the broken down gates that had just left the city unprotected and in ruins. So we just talked about boldness, if you were here last week, and what it looks like to have not just boldness and not just brashness, which we tend to really easily lean into, but to have a sense of godly boldness, which means we don't let fear, um, or at least the wrong kind of fear, there's good fear and there's bad fear, we don't let the wrong kind of fear rule over us. We use wisdom to seize opportunities that God places in front of us And then in the midst of all that, part of having good and godly boldness is that we never take our eyes off the Lord. We don't make everything a project about ourselves, but we are constantly keeping our eyes focused on who God is, what God is saying, so that we are actually accomplishing what he is setting out to do through us. And now Nehemiah, he has to actually make the journey. He has to travel to Jerusalem and put shape to the vision that God has given him to begin this rebuilding process of the wall. But but this brother needs clarity. He needs clarity, he's like us. He needs clarity, He, he sees that there's a vision that God has given him. It's a vision that he wants to shape for the people, but he also needs to gain a a particular kind of clarity so that he can lead them well in the vision that God has given them to rebuild the walls. We need clarity too in our lives, as we see the vision that God has given us to shape us deeper into the image of Jesus Christ, which is why we're all here, right? We're not all here just to hang out, to sing songs, to make ourselves feel good because we showed up to church on Sunday, but we're here for a particular purpose because this was God's design, this was Christ's plan to plan and build and organize a church for us to become more like him, to become more focused on him, to see him with greater clarity so that the vision that God has for you and for me to become more like Jesus would unfold and we would gain greater clarity as we step into those things. That's just the question we want to ask this morning as we dive in here is how do we gain clarity so that we can put shape to the vision that God has for us as a church and then in our our personal lives. Man, we woke up to this beautiful snowfall yesterday and this morning. I'm just trying to keep it positive here, guys. Um, Oh man, it's like so, it's it's like that thing when you wake up in the morning and you haven't looked outside yet and then you look and all these like flakes the size of bowling balls are coming down and you're kind of going, I thought it's March, it's the end of March, you know? But snowfall, it means something for us. Um, It means that we don't simply just walk out the doors without giving life a second thought. There's implications when the snow starts coming down. You need to make sure you're wearing the right clothing because it's cold, right? I know it's not supposed to be cold. It's cold, right? 
You need to make sure the windshield wipers on your car are working so that you can have some visibility as you're driving down the cold roads. And you need to drive with some added caution because road conditions are sketchy when there's snow all over the ground. We don't, we don't, know, we don't, we don't know what our tires are going to stick to and what they're going to slide through. All of these things must happen if we're going to arrive at our destination with any level of safety and any level of success. And it's really the same when it comes to our own lives. We need to strive for as much clarity as we're able to get so that we're able to visualize, embrace, and become the vision that God has for us. So this is what Nehemiah had to do as he arrived in Jerusalem. Let's pick up in chapter 2. Uh, Verse 11, I'm going to read through verse 20. This is what it says. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night and I and a few men with me and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went up by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, verse 17, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, uh, servant and Gresham the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we are his servants and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So this is God's word, in the book of Nehemiah for us this morning. What's the first thing that we see Nehemiah do when he finally gets back to Jerusalem? Well, he surveys the damage. If you look down verses 11 through 16, he basically takes a hard look at the state of the nation, at the state of the walls. He's basically saying, this is what I see. I need to survey the damage. He arrives in Jerusalem. He takes a night excursion to see what's been, that, whether what's been told him is true or not. He, he knows what he's been told, but he needs to see it for himself. And after expecting it, he can see that the report that he was given was accurate. The walls are broken. The gates are for sure burned down to the point that it's in a total state of disrepair. Now, I want us to notice Nehemiah's wisdom and his patience here. Notice what he does do. Notice what he doesn't do. He does not arrive and just get everyone working as quickly as humanly possible. That would be what I would want to do, right? 
But what Nehemiah does with more wisdom and with more patience is he takes time to see what needs to be done. When we get a vision for our church and for our lives, we need to, in a sense, like Nehemiah, survey the damage. We need to survey the damage before we do anything else. We need to know what's in disrepair before we move to the rebuilding and the repairing phase of the process or the project. The problem with that is that when we survey the damage, that's a painful process. That's not typically something that we want to see. It wasn't like Nehemiah was on that horse, traveling in the night, around through the city walls, surveying the way it was broken down, seeing the gates burned down. It wasn't something that probably thrilled his heart. It wasn't probably something that gave him great joy to see the way that Jerusalem was lying in ruins, but it was necessary. It was necessary for the next steps that he had received a vision for and that he needed to find a way to shape before he could begin the work. But surveying the damage of our lives and maybe even the the life of our church, it can be a painful experience. Sometimes we just want to get on with making everything better and beautiful. Can we just get on with it? Can we just do it? But wisdom leads us always, every single time, to patience. And patience spends the time it takes to see what's actually wrong. Do you ever feel like you're, you, 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 the Lord maybe has surfaced some things in your life and you just want to get over the hill? You just want to get past it? I know what I need to do. No, 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 I get it. Well, God calls us to wait and to see and to inspect and to survey. Proverbs 7, verse 8, listen to this wisdom. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. What does that even mean? Well, it means that we can do good things foolishly and impatiently. It means that being hasty and rash and unplanned is unwise. Nehemiah needed to get to the end of his assessment so that he could get to the beginning of his assignment, right? Patience, not pride, was the kind of spirit that needed to be at the heart of Nehemiah's vision that he was shaping for the Israelites. Sometimes when we get clarity in our life, we wanna just jump in so quickly. We don't wanna take the time to survey the damage or the things that have been maybe lying in disrepair because seeing things that might be lying in ruins is incredibly hard to see. But what wisdom does is it leads us to gaining an accurate picture of the shape of our hearts and therefore the status of our souls, right? The question for us today might be, do you have an accurate picture of something in your life that needs attending to? Do you have an accurate picture Have you paused long enough to survey some of that? Maybe you need to talk with a pastor. I know some guys. Maybe you need some counseling. I know some guys. What does surveying the damage in your life 
look like? Because here's the question. How else will you know where you're at? How else will you know? You know, at some point, those of you who garden, have gardens in, you know, on your, at your house, you're going to need to take a hard look at everything so that you know what you need to do before you go to the nursery, before you go to Home Depot, before you buy new flowers, new plants. You have to survey what's wrong before you know what to replace. That is part of shaping the vision for your garden. And that's really what God calls us to through wisdom and patience. Take a look at our church. Take a look at our lives. Get an accurate picture of what's going on. Be honest about that. Because the Lord is doing something. The Lord is not doing that just so you can have some gruesome picture of what's really going on so he can point his finger and wag his finger at you and say, see, now what are you going to do about that? No, the Lord is is walking with you through that process like he walked with Nehemiah through that process. Nehemiah surveyed the damage. And secondly, after he surveyed the damage, he provided an honest report. So first, Nehemiah is like, this is what I see. And now he's saying, this is where we're at based on what I see, as you read there in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision, he was saying. So Nehemiah provides an honest report to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and officials. He gives them the bad news first. He doesn't try to candy coat doesn't try to candy coat it. He says, this is what I'm seeing. This is the reality of our lives. We are vulnerable. Those gates have been burned to the ground. Those walls of protection are in dire need of repair. And that's what he does. What a gracious thing for everyone to know what he saw from his findings, however hard it was for them to hear. How dare you say, I, I, think those, I think those gates are fine, Nehemiah. How dare you look at some of the crumbling of the walls and try to act like everything, the whole thing's just like gone to pot. It's like, no, he was honest about the state that they were in. Honesty for us? It's a bit of a commodity probably these days for us. We have ways of glazing over things that are in glaringly bad shape because we're afraid to confront what can be a grim reality, right? Sometimes we're just afraid of, of being honest because we might offend people with the truth. And you know what? Let me say this, being blunt should never be our automatic response when we are confronted, when we have surveyed the damage, when we have been given an an honest report to share, being blunt should never be our automatic response. It has a place, but it shouldn't take up residency as our go-to response. What I mean is this, bluntness is something that is reserved for special occasions. We need to be careful how we say things, but we do need to be honest about what needs to be said. You know, some people will say, I like that person. I like that politician because they just 
tell it like it is. Cool, but they also left a path of destruction in their wake as a result. Meaning it's worse now than it was before. Why? Because words matter. Because how we say what we say allows people to know that what we say has some resemblance to the nature and character of God. That's why. And that's what we see with Nehemiah here. He's giving an honest report. He's being, he's being honest about the status of what's going on, but he's also saying it in a way that the people could receive, and he is encouraging them in the process. What an important but maybe easy to miss thing that we see here in the way that Nehemiah provides the honest report for the Israelites. Remember in Proverbs 15, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 26, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Nehemiah was a wise reprover. I have some bad news, guys. These are my findings. It is grim. But together, he said, we can build again. Together, come with me. Let me shape this vision for you. He said, you see the trouble we're in. Everything is lying in ruins, but come let us build. You, you see how he frames his report before calling everyone to unite for a common purpose. He's not casting fault. He's casting a future, right? He's shaping a vision. Let's come together. Let's rebuild. Can I encourage us in the same way this morning? To say, hey, look around and see where we are today. As a church, in your own lives, where are we today? Well, we're a church that God is rebuilding, restoring, and renewing. By the way, he's always doing that. But sometimes we have these moments, or I don't know, these pandemic things, and we're just able to get a clearer picture of how he's doing that rebuilding, restoring, and renewing. Man, these are encouraging times right now for us after a couple of pretty discouraging years. We should be honest about that, right? And in fact, by being honest about that, it allows us to be more thankful for what we're experiencing today, which is a renewed sense of, of hopefulness and a renewed sense that God is, is moving again and he is doing something in the process that we are coming out of over the last couple of years, right? It is good for us to look around and see that we have some work to do as a church, right? Because we want to be a church that gets back on mission together. This is what's happening in Jerusalem. This is what Nehemiah is encouraging the people to do. Hey, we need to come back. We need to do it together, though. We need to rebuild these walls. We need to rebuild these burned down gates. But we need to do it together. And that's, in a sense, where we're at today. We want to make plans to get to where we want to be tomorrow. Just so you know, I've always had a vision for this warehouse to be what I like to call an outpost in our, in our downtown, a place that can be a blessing to others and a, a beacon, I like to call it a beacon of gospel hope to our community. Can we do this better? 
Can we do it more effectively by God's grace? I think we can. I think we can leverage this space for greater missional connectivity to our community for the sake of Christ, for the name of Jesus. Well, what about you personally? What does an honest rapport when it comes to your life look like? I know that there are things that are too painful to speak. You know who knows better than me? The Lord. God is so patient with us in this process of us learning to be honest with ourselves, learning to survey the damage. Your church will be patient with y'all too as you're going through these things. That's the place that we want to have with each other. Honesty is something that takes time because why? We don't see everything all at once. You know, we can, you can come just rushing into a room and just start naming off the first things you see and then rush out of the room. You're going to miss some things. That's why honesty needs to come with the wisdom of patience because we don't see everything that has unfolded in our lives. That's why the body of Christ is so important because other people can see what you can't see. But if you're unwilling to collaborate with others, your blind spots, they end up becoming your truth, right? They end up becoming the lens in which you see everything else in life. Nehemiah was saying, here's what's there. You need to see what I see so that we can take the next step, so that we can begin to build, so that we can make plans to begin, which is what he says in verse 18. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words of the king that had spoken to me. And they said, let's rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So that's the third thing that we see Nehemiah do as he shapes this vision. He says, this is what we will do. We're going to make plans to begin. The people listen to his words and they strengthen their hands, it says, for the good work. And the reason why this could be defined as good work was because the Lord was in it. He was over it. So they make plans to begin. And this is the culmination, really, of, of Nehemiah's vision that he was shaping for them. This is what we know about good work. This is no, what we know about good work that we know falls in line with who God is, is that it always prospers. The good work of God always prospers. Not because it unfolds, listen, the way that we envision it. But because the Lord is unfolding it the way he has already envisioned it. So we just follow the lead of the Lord doing the things faithfully that he has called us to do and we say well it seems like we should do this because this aligns with what the mission of God and the kingdom of God has called Christians to do. So we say all right let's move in that direction. Let's do that. And then what God does is we take a step to the left or the right that you know we should have taken either to the left or the right. Man he just repositions us. The point is, is that we're stepping out in obedience to what God has called us to do with the vision that he has for our life. The Lord will recast, he'll reshape as we remain faithful and prayerful and flexible, by the way, for what he has laid out before us. Proverbs 16, the heart of man plans his way, 
but the Lord establishes his steps. We plan our way. And then in the midst of that planning, in some very unique and sovereign way that we don't have a grip on, the Lord establishes our steps. He's the one that grounds us in the things that we make plans for. And if we're trying to ground ourselves in a particular portion of real estate that he doesn't want us, he'll just go, that's cool, and just right there. He'll, he'll move us. He'll, he'll reshape us. But we need to be obedient about making those plans while trusting the Lord to establish our steps. God is shaping his vision for your life and the life of this church. Before anything else, his vision is to shape you more deeply into the image of his son, Jesus. That's the big ticket item right there. The other stuff, the other shaping, the other visions flow from that. What this means is that everything we do, listen to this, everything we do has a greater purpose for a kingdom that is far greater than the building of our own empires because we're just little empire builders. We're trying to create some kind of heaven on earth. We just default to it. We just default to it. God's vision means that all the bad stuff and all the sad stuff are part of his plan to give you a head and a heart and hands that are more like Jesus, which gives the world another light on a hill that reflects the truth of Jesus. What is God doing in your life? What is God's vision for your life? Well, it's to create a softness of heart on a foundation of rock for you to step out on. That's what he was doing here for Nehemiah and the Israelites. Because of this truth, because of this truth, you can look at your life, you can survey what's going on, you can be honest with yourself and others about what you find, and then give it to the Lord as you labor in the good work with your brothers and sisters together. Is any of this simple? No. We're about to see in the next coming weeks just how complicated Nehemiah's life was about to become. I mean, this sounds all just like Disney. I mean, it's just about to get complicated for this dude. Following Christ is not about a life free of complications. It's not a life free of complications. In fact, scripture shows us just how complicated our lives become when we decide to live as Christ. Do you notice that the people in scripture that have all the issues, that have all the problems, that are laying prostrate before the Lord because they don't know what's become of their life are the ones that are following him? It's the opposite for everybody else. That's counting the cost of following Christ. See, we're the ones who try to simplify all the time. We are the ones who are trying to simplify, who try to keep everything pain-free, who try to shape a vision for our life that resembles some kind of just religious utopia. What this means is that you have expectations and I have expectations that are constantly being unmet. 
because they are shaped by a perspective that thinks pain and trauma and resistance and people with bad morals and the state of our society have no place in our life. And then you have God who is like, oh, well, see, those are the things I'm going to give you a steady diet of because that's the Jesus-shaped vision I have for your life. So, so when I stomp my feet and I shake my fist and I say, how dare you shape your vision in my life? When I do that, and I do that, what I'm really doing is not wanting to face the grace that he provides to do radical and painful facelifts in my head, heart, and hands. That's what I'm saying. I just don't like that you're doing this because it's revealing something in me that I just don't want to face. When we understand that, when we understand the work that God is doing, which is why it's good for us to survey the damage and be honest so that that building process can begin. When we understand that, we stop trying to rebuild walls that are just going to get torn down again. Instead, we see everything, all the good, all the bad, as moments for God to be God in our life. See, the thing is, I'm convinced that we just don't want God to be so godlike in our lives. I like God. On my good days, I love God. But I really just wish that he had more of an acquaintance relationship with me. Where he said some nice things. He kind of gave me what I needed. He was there in a pinch. But ultimately, for him to be God over my life, he's going to be doing all kinds of junk that I'm not going to understand. And I can either face that knowing that his character is one of such overwhelming grace and mercy that I can begin to receive those things with a measure of joy because I know that he's always working for my good or I can just keep, keep pushing. I can just keep pushing back really hard, really hard. Is God God? in your life? Do you want him to be the God over your life? Because our expectations will change from our vision of the way life should be to the vision God has for us to become, what? Closer to his son Jesus, more in love with his son Jesus, more grateful for his son Jesus. That's the vision. And everything in your life that makes no sense makes all the sense in the world when we begin to see it through those eyes. That is a long and painful process in the life of a Christian called life, called the Christian walk. And it would be impossible to get our grip around that, to get our head wrapped around that, to not fall into despondency and despair if we didn't serve a God that was as compassionate to us as he was towards Nehemiah. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. You're going to make a hard right. Isaiah 55. 
Look at how the prophet Isaiah describes God's heart towards people that call on him to be the God over their lives, to shape his vision for their lives. 55 verse 1 says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Do we see what God has for us? The vision that God has for our lives, which oftentimes contains measures of grief, measures of suffering, measures of confusion, measures of fragility, and weakness that surface in our hearts when we attempt to try to understand the mind of God and how he works. And that's why, like Nehemiah, we go back to the good hand of God over our lives to continue to shape the vision that he had for, has for us by drawing us near to Jesus. We take communion because this was one of the ways that Jesus said, I want you to draw near to me after I ascend to the Father. We take communion so that we know something of the compassion of God, so that we're reminded of what it means to walk the Christian life, so that what it means to have God be the God of our lives includes things that we don't like, that we don't enjoy, but it actually causes our trust in God to become something greater than it was before any of that could have happened. We take communion because Jesus told his disciples this was the vision he had for his church in order to remember his love, to remember his sacrifice, and to be strengthened in our faith until he returns. So that's what we're gonna do right now. I'm gonna invite the ushers up, I'm gonna invite the band up. And we have three stations, one in the back, two up front. And when the band starts playing, you can just get in a line. You can also take some time to grab a couple of friends or family members, find a corner, and take of the elements together. If you are not somebody that has trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, we ask that you would just hold off on taking this. Um, this is something that is... Um, exclusively for people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, um, I know using the word exclusive these days, that, you know, that, 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 that's something that we have to be careful of, but this is something that Christ commanded the church to be very careful of, to not eat of the bread and drink of the cup in an unholy manner. Because what we're doing is we are acknowledging that Christ has to be our all. What did we just sing? All I have is Christ. When we take communion, we're saying, all I have is Christ. It's his very broken body and his very shed blood that provides us with the life that we lack and the life that we need. And it reminds us of the future life that we're going to share with him. So we said, 
eat and drink as the church. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give us just one minute to reflect on those words, on the vision that God gave through Christ to shape our lives in such a way that we now have peace with him. That's the most important part of this message this morning. So I'm going to take a few minutes, have us reflect. Maybe there's some things that God has surfaced in your life that you need to do business with him, to use an old phrase. And then for those of you who have never even considered the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, I would ask that you would receive him today. I ask that you would trust in him by repenting of your sins, receiving the work that he did on the Christ on the cross so that you might know God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ who loves you, who gave his life for you. Let's take a minute and pray through that right now. God, we thank you for shaping the vision of our lives that all leads back to Jesus. This is the rebuilding and the renewing and the restoring ultimately that you are doing in our lives and in our hearts. So as we take of these elements this morning, remembering the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ for the remission of our sins, we pray that you would use this sacrament, this act of obedience to strengthen us to remind us once again of who we belong to. And Lord, for those who have not come before you and considered you, Jesus, as the savior that they need, as the broken body and shed blood that they need so that the wall of hostility that exists between us and God can be torn down Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts to come before you now and to receive that good news. So, Lord, strengthen us now as we take of these elements in a, in a symbolic way, but in a very meaningful way. And, Lord, would you allow us to survey the damage that maybe has been done or has happened in our lives, those deep and painful and often unspoken things, Lord, would you give us the courage and the grace to be honest, to be able to connect with somebody that we can be honest with so that we can take some steps forward in rebuilding some of those things that are lying in ruins. Lord, would you, would you shape that vision that you have for us in our lives to be more like Jesus as a church and, and as individuals? Would you do that work today? Would you begin that work as we take of communion now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.